Well, good morning. Good to have you here this morning. Just to say, uh, the youth are meeting uh, in the back room, so if you are part of our youth, you are very welcome to join in. You just need to walk down to the back, and Will and Sarah are there ready to meet you. Uh, so do go ahead and have lots of fun. Uh, Happy New Year. It's uh, great to see you all. I don't know when we stop saying Happy New Year. Should we just agree that today is the last day that we say Happy New Year, and tomorrow we just revert back to our normal greetings and grunts uh, to one another? Um, I hope you had a good Christmas, um, and uh, I'm, I'm, this got nothing to do with uh, what I'm about to say, but who watched some good Christmas TV uh, over Christmas? Did anyone watch... The Detectorists. Is there, are there any Detectorists? Now, Sam Riley is a Detectorist fan. Yeah, uh, I've just been evangelizing about how good the Detectorists are to everyone I can possibly talk to. If you haven't watched season one and two, go and watch it, and then watch the Christmas special. It is brilliant. Um, I guess on a more serious note, when we're saying Happy New Year, I guess there is something about that greeting, isn't there? Uh, where uh, you actually want the person to have a good year, right? I know we kind of it just kind of rolls off uh, the tongue, and however superficial it is uh, or not, uh, we want this year to be a happier year than the one that we've had before. And uh, I guess to put more biblical language on kind of happy new year, uh, that we are, we're hoping and we're praying that people would be blessed and know the blessing of God in their life in the next year. Now, I know that's quite hard to communicate in Happy New Year, so you don't need to then suddenly stop and go into how you want to, you know, all the blessings that God is going to do when we have uh, tea and coffee. But, but I guess part of when we say that is we want people to experience the blessing of God in their lives. And it's this idea uh, of blessing that I want to talk about today uh, and I want to talk about it from the context of the most famous sermon that was ever and has ever been delivered. Uh, uh, it, more Christian literature has been written on this sermon than any other passage uh, of Scripture. Uh, and at the beginning of 2023, it feels like an apt way to start the year, to start by looking at what does a blessed life look like? And so uh, this week and next week, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, uh, and I'm going to be looking at how we experience the blessing of God in our lives now, and then Dave Evans uh, is going to be preaching next Sunday about the blessing of God to come. I can see you're much more excited about hearing Dave. Uh, I'm, I am as well. Uh, and so Dave is going to be speaking next Sunday on the blessed life to come. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be doing. No pressure, Dave, now, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, so if you have your Bible with you, uh, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1, uh, and the words are also going to appear on the screen. Uh, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you that you have already been speaking to us. Lord, we thank you that there is power in your Holy Spirit, that you are moving amongst us, Lord, that you are cleansing us, that you are constantly changing and transforming us into the likeness of your Son. And Lord, our deep desire now is that as we hear from your word, that you would speak to us, because Lord, when you speak, it comes with absolute authority. Lord, when you, when you speak, things change. And so, Lord, we want to submit ourselves to your powerful word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, in the next few minutes, I want to, to look at two aspects of these blessings that Jesus pronounces. And he's pronouncing them to a crowd uh, that is gathering, and they are listening uh, and uh, I guess what they're, they're trying to work out, who is giving these blessings? Who is giving these blessings? And so we're going to look at that question. And then secondly, what do these blessings mean? And that, that first question, who is giving these blessings? To us, that seems quite obvious. It's Jesus. We, we've, we've, read the, we've read the story. We know how it finishes and so when we, when we read things like Matthew chapter 5, you think, well, surely the people knew that. Surely they knew who was talking. Surely they knew who they were listening to. But in their minds, they're thinking, who is this Jesus? It's not like he burst onto the scene in a blaze of glory. He, the Christmas story is exactly the opposite of, of that. He was born in a stable, in a manger, in, in the backwaters in a northern region that no one really knew much about. It was a kind of mysterious area to most of modern or that civilization at the time. And so this, this figure emerges out of relative obscurity and he begins to teach. And in, in chapters 3 and 4, there are some clues that this isn't just your average man. So in, in, in Matthew chapter 3, we have... John the Baptist, who already has a large following of people, and they're, and they're coming, and they're being baptized by him, and, and he's pointing, he begins to teach about there is going to be one to come, who's not going to baptize people just in water, but by fire. There is going to be one to come, the anointed one, the Messiah, and so, and, and John's saying, it, it's, it's Jesus, and then he baptizes him, and there's this extraordinary moment where the voice from heaven says, this is my son. And then we have in, in Matthew chapter 4, we, we have this scene where Jesus is, 
is in the wilderness and he's being tempted by the devil and he, and he comes out of that and he, he begins to preach and to teach and his public ministry begins. He begins to pray for people. He begins to say things like, the kingdom of God is near. And he prays for people and they get well. And so you can just imagine, just picture yourself in that time thinking, well, this, there is something very interesting about this man. He speaks with authority, but they're still asking the questions. There is still a mystery about who he is. And if you read the gospel accounts, in some cases, even the disciples are still working out who Jesus is, even after he was resurrected. Thomas is still working it out after her. So they're constantly asking, who is this person that is speaking and preaching with authority? And we come to Matthew chapter 5, and it's the first real bit of theological teaching in the New Testament. It's the first kind of part of the Bible in, in which Jesus opens his mouth to the crowds, and we get a glimpse of who Jesus is. And so this rise out of obscurity didn't just happen and it all got solved. He, here is his teacher, a carpenter's son who has power to heal and speaks with authority. And he begins to reveal his identity to those that would listen. In fact, he, he reveals his identity in this chapter without even opening his mouth. If you just look at verse 1 of chapter 5, there are two ways that Jesus reveals his identity before he even opens his mouth. mouth. And firstly, it's, it's that Jesus went up onto the mountainside. Now, Matthew is, is very careful about what he includes in this account. And he's showing uh, the readers what is going on here. And, it, and it's connected to the history of Israel. It's connected to the old Testament. Matthew, in fact, starts his gospel with this genealogy of Jesus, this family tree, in which it's all linked back to the Old Testament. Abraham, Jacob, we get this incredible family history, that this line that ends with Jesus. And so Matthew starts this, his gospel with a genealogy, and he uses much of the same language that Genesis would use. These are the generations of. There's that repeating thing in in Genesis, and Matthew begins to play on that language. We, we get Jesus being baptized in water, echoing that what happened in, in the Exodus with the Israelites coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, through the Red Sea, as if they have been baptized into new life. We've got the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, echoing the 40 years that the Israelites were lost in the wilderness. And then we get to a mountain. We get to a mountain. And if you were Jewish and you knew your Old Testament, I mean, there are lots of mountains in the Bible, but there are some significant ones. And if you were to track that story, Jesus brings his people to a mountain, echoing what Moses did. Moses went to a mountain experienced the glory, saw the glory of the Lord. And what did he do on Mount Sinai? He then came down and he brought the law of God to his people. And so Jesus goes up the mountain and begins his sermon on the mount. 
And Jesus is invoking all this history that they would be familiar with to bring down a new law, a law of, of love, but also embodying it in himself. And so he reveals his identity just by going up a mountain. And the second thing is, is that he sits down. It's a detail that you could just whip through very quickly. But Jesus sat down. And to sit was the posture of a monarch, of a, of a king or a queen. It, it was priests that would always stand up in the temple, but a monarch would sit down and would govern and pass judgments and, and rule and govern and reign from a place of sitting down. And so when we read verse 1 of chapter 5, Jesus is revealing who he really is. Without even opening his mouth, you can just imagine a hush. Jesus was telling them who he was. He is God. He is the Messiah sitting enthroned on a mountain, speaking his royal law to his people. He is a king that speaks with authority and of course it means that whatever he says is of absolute importance when the king of the universe opens his mouth you want to listen to it and so as Jesus reveals himself as king you might expect him to then give a kind of a series of instructions a, a, a series of rulings you know as he opens his public ministry, as he preaches this first sermon, you'd think he'd be telling people, well, this is what it's going to look like. This is, this is what I'm here to do. But how does he open the Sermon on the Mount? He begins with something quite unexpected, which is a series of blessings. A series of blessings, eight blessings, in fact, with the last one repeated and so it le leads us on to ask, well, what do these blessings mean? Uh, now, like I've already said, so much has been written on these things. And people who've got more intelligence in their big toe than I do in my whole being uh, have been grappling with what do these blessings mean? How, how do we understand them? And, and it's striking how each of these blessings are pronounced on groups of people that you would not expect or describe as being blessed. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty, the merciful, the pure, the, the peacemakers. And then he repeats this one, which kind of encaptures the whole of the Beatitudes, blessed are the persecuted. What, I mean, what could Jesus possibly be talking about? It doesn't strike me as a blessed group of people. What do these blessings mean? You know, if, if you were to take a poll today, if you were to do a survey today of what it looks like to be blessed, these things would not feature on them. Blessing is associated with 
wealth and having it all together and a nice, neat family unit. That's what it means to be blessed, to be popular, to be successful, to, to achieve, to be known. But Jesus seems to be striking a completely different note here with who is in fact blessed. And so that's the first thing. But the other striking thing is with these blessings is what these groups of people then go on to receive. And, and yes, there seems to be spiritual blessing written into these blessings. But there's also real tangible provision, not just in the future, but for now. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because when we experience hardship and challenge and difficulty, if you're anything like me, you often rationalize it with, well, you, you, might, you, know, you, you might turn to the book of Revelation and you might immediately go, well, there's going to be a day where there's not going to be any more suffering, no more tears, no more pain. And so I'm just going to have to battle along in my life, but I'm looking forward to Revelation 7 or whatever, you know, and looking forward to those. We often rationalize it with those kind of things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it strikes me that as Jesus is pronouncing these blessings to the people that are listening, there is something about experiencing the blessing of God in the here and now. And we get, we get a little bit fidgety about that, don't we? We do. We get in our, in our kind of reformed tradition where, where we can often be a little bit stoic, we get a little bit nervous when people talk about blessings now. I can see the wry smiles. Are we going into the prosperity gospel, James? But there is something about God who wants to bless us and see us flourish in our lives, irrespective of the circumstances that we are in. He is pronouncing blessing over his people. And there is definitely something about these blessings that come in the future. And Dave's going to be speaking about that next week. But there is also something about experiencing the blessing of God now. Look at how he phrases them. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are. Ble it's all given in the present tense, in the present reality. That as Jesus teaches through these groups, he's saying, you are blessed. Whether you realize it or not, you are a blessed people. And so what we find is Jesus, it's more than just a hope or a wish, but he is promising blessing to his people in the way that God has always promised blessing right the way through the scriptures. If you, if you turn back to Genesis 1, what we find in Genesis is that when God blessed the creatures of the earth, he blessed them with power to flourish, power to flourish power to be fulfilled as his creatures. And that is what Jesus is doing again. He's saying, I am going to bless you and give you power to flourish in your life. Not just spiritually, but in the very humdrum of life, God wants us to flourish 
to experience something of the abundance of God. I mean, it's part of who he is. We, we so quickly hem God in, don't we? And we limit him. But a right understanding of God is actually when we do dig into the creation story, that out of who he is, creation and flourishment and teeming of life and abundance flows out of him. And so these blessings come not just to change our attitudes and our hearts, which is what we often lean into, but to change the conditions in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And so it it is in fact a fallacy to believe that Jesus doesn't want us to flourish in our lives, in every area of our lives. We can can often view God as this kind of tight-fisted God where we have to try and persuade him. We have to try and claw the blessings out of him. We can often view that. Or we can often view the hand of God as like a, a finger pointing in judgment. But what we see here is that there is an open-handedness that Jesus is offering and saying, I want to bless you. Irrespective of whether you are grieving whether you are poor in spirit, even if you're being persecuted, I'm here to bless you. And so later in in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how everything from the birds to the flowers in the field are provided for. And then Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven care for you? I mean, it's in the same sermon. He's saying, you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry. I want to see you flourish and experience abundance of life. I'm not making it up. It's it's in the Bible. But we've, we've convinced ourselves, no, I must just keep going. I must, this life is just... Is all about challenge and pushing through. And, and there is a reality to that. But there is also the reality that there is this God in heaven in which abundance and life flows out from. And because he loves you, he wants to see you grow and flourish and experience that life. A life with him. And so we see this king with open hands, not tight-fisted, not finger-pointing, but open hands, saying, I want to bless you in your life. And it's how this series of blessings ends that really brings home who Jesus is and what the flourishing, blessed, good, happy life what that looks like, it's really in these last two blessings that those things come into focus because he ends by repeating a blessing. He says, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and 
you'd be forgiven. Is Jesus having a joke here? Is he kind of just messing with our heads by saying, blessed are the persecuted? Those things do not seem to add up. But it's against that backdrop that the Beatitudes come because whilst those that are listening don't know how the story is going to end, Jesus does. Jesus knows where it's going. He knows. He knows where it's going to end. The, the people that are listening haven't been able to fast forward and, and know what's going to happen. But Jesus knows where it's going because those, those same hands that offer flourishing and life are the ones that were nailed to a cross. It's the same Jesus. It's the same person who's, bless, who's promising blessing on his people who then would go to the cross and be nailed in the most excruciating death. He would be pierced for our sins. The truly blessed king would die, would experience sin. He would become sin. He would become poor in spirit. He would mourn the loss of his perfect relationship with his father. He would be mocked and torn to pieces. He would be persecuted. So it's not like Jesus didn't know what was coming and he's just kind of offering these things, but then he's just going to kind of stand back and just leave everyone else to it. He experienced these things himself. And yet he wasn't just speaking about himself because there in front of him, what does it say in verse 1 and 2? His disciples were there. He'd gathered his disciples and he's, he's speaking to his disciples knowing what is going to happen to them too. He knows what's going to happen to them. They are going to share in his sufferings. They are going to share in his sufferings. They are going to be persecuted. They are going to be murdered for their faith. They are going to experience grief and loss. And so Jesus is talking to these people who are, who are going to be persecuted for their faith in him. And here we find that Jesus is promising blessing to them and saying, if you remain faithful, if you follow my example in the midst of your suffering, and your pain, I am going to bless you. In fact, Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm actually going to reverse the circumstances that you are in. It's a promise that the king who would be pierced to a cross would then rise three days later. And as, the, as certain as the sun rises... He would carry out, the king would carry out perfect justice and judgment. And so the blessing that comes isn't necessarily happy circumstances, although God does want us to flourish in every area of our lives. It's primarily about knowing him. Knowing the God who has experienced and can 
sympathize with our weaknesses and our frailties and our sin and and every circumstance we find ourselves in we come to this king who promises to bless us and he blesses us with himself in in identifying with our situation and our circumstances he is giving himself to us his presence with us and so there is a reality that we get to experience the blessing of God right now because the blessing is found in him it's found in him alone and he gives himself to us he pronounces blessings over us in our lives today and of course there will be a, a future fulfillment of all those things so it's not wrong to hold those things in tension but sometimes we just delete the what well, he wants doesn't want to bless us now and we just look ahead but God wants to see us flourish now and then bring them through to completion in eternity he wants you to experience the real thing that this life isn't just the trailer but it's the real thing it's the real thing that when you became a Christian eternal life actually started that is a reality that when you became a Christian you were made a new creation you might die in the body but you're you're not gonna die again that's the message of the gospel you already died we don't have to baptize you twice new creation eternal life has started and so there is blessing that comes with that and it's because of Jesus's perfect humanity his perfect obedience through that hardship that he then calls us children of God isn't that incredible that in spite of our sin and our rejection just as Els shared earlier he pronounces blessing because we're part of his family because we are joined to him and so we can be blessed we can live in that blessing irrespective of hardship in grief in poverty in bad health you are blessed because your life is hidden in Christ that's what the blessed life is is to know him to be joined to him to experience his mercy and grace every day and what it also means is that because we are blessed we have the opportunity to be a blessing to others and, and the, the, some of the themes that you read in chapters 5 6 and 7 is about how we live and how we conduct ourselves and how we are to be but it starts from a place of blessing and so it's it sounds silly to say I think Jesus has been quite clever because he, you know he invented intelligence but he starts with blessing because he says I want you to know your identity in me and out of that you can then be a blessing to others and if you don't get that bit then you're just kind of 
fumbling around in the dark. Friends, you are a blessed people because you belong to Jesus. And so I want to invite us just to stand for a moment. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. Because at the start of a new year and a new term, I think it's important that we affirm in ourselves and to one another who we belong to, whose family we are a part of, and what that means for our lives now. And so there may be something in in your life right now that is proving very challenging. Maybe as you were reading through the Beatitudes, you you were able to identify with one of those things, poor in spirit, grief, struggling in life, feeling persecuted for your faith. The King of Kings who sat down on the mountainside is here with us now and he offers himself to us and says if you would just open your hands and receive then I've got abundance to pour out on you in fact I I often find that we God is open handed and we are tight fisted we're not ready to receive we're not very good at receiving things. We often talk about wanting to, to learn to be generous, but how good are we at actually receiving things from people? You always feel like you're indebted to someone, don't you? I better offer, they've invited me around for dinner, we better invite them back around for dinner. Just learn to receive. And the God of abundance wants to pour out his abundant blessing on you. So why don't we just open our, our hands this morning as a way of saying, Lord, I don't want to shut myself off from your blessings, but I want to receive them by faith. I want to receive abundance. Not because it then shows the world how great we are, but because it reveals something of your glory. That as we receive your blessings, we are showing people that there is a glorious, abundant God that they can come and know. God blesses you, not so that you would have a happy life, but because it reveals his glory. How could a God bless me? Well, he wants to. And he demonstrated that when he died on the cross. So Lord, we we do open our our hands to you. And Lord, we want to start this year by acknowledging and recognizing the blessings that have already been given to us. Lord, we think of where we live. We think of the society that we're in. We think of every good thing that you have given us. And it is all from your hands. It's all from your open hand. Why don't you just, from where you're standing, why don't you just begin to thank the Lord for the blessings that you have in your life? What a brilliant way to start this year by thanking God for every good thing that he's given 
you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for every spiritual blessing that we find in Christ. We also thank you for the blessings in our lives, for friends, for family, for a roof over our heads. Lord, for security and safety. Lord, we we recognize they are all blessings from you. And so, Lord, I want to pray a blessing over us. That in every area of our lives, we would experience flourishing and growth. Lord, we do not want to stay the same. But thank you, Lord, that you conform us and transform us into the likeness of your son. Lord, that is what we want. We want to be more like you, Jesus. We want to be blessed because you are blessed. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.